0: You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. I'm Nick. If we haven't met, I'm on staff here with Illini Life, and periodically, I get the chance to get up here and talk about the Bible with you all. It's one of my favorite things to do, to talk about the Bible. Ever since I became a Christian in high school, I've been excited about studying Scripture, getting to know it, understand it, and discuss it with others. I love to discuss how we read the Bible, how we let it read us and change us, and interact with others about that. So knowing that, let that uh, paint the picture of the struggle I've had this week. It's been challenging for me to know what to say. This passage we're studying, it's, it's hard. It's, it's challenging. It's not just the passage, it's the topic. It's something we've all encountered, we all deal with. And, surrounded this, and surrounding this topic, we can struggle with a lot of shame. We can feel a lot of guilt. So What am I talking about? What are we talking about today? Lust. We're going to talk about lust. We're going to talk about our sexual desires as created beings and how specifically we handle lust in our hearts. That's where Jesus takes us next in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'm not sure how we've decided who gets what teachings around here, but if you remember in the past, in the spring, I talked to you about singleness and told you that Paul says, be single, it's better. Uh, Today, I'm talking about lust and not to have sex before you're married. I think, in the, I think like maybe in the spring I'll be back to talk about why you shouldn't like puppies or something. <laughs> I mean, I got a lot of heavy topics here, right? They're challenging. <laughs> I love dogs. Puppies are great. But anyways, if you were here last week, you, saw, uh, you heard Russ get us started on this next segment of our Sermon on the Mount series. We're calling it Killers. It's volume two of Your Guide to Exile. We're talking about four... Habits for heart conditions that are killers to our relationships, our relationships with one another and our relationship with God. And it's that continuation of your guide to exile. We learned so far that as people who follow King Jesus, we live in exile in our culture around us. We are people who live a different way, a kingdom way. And as Jesus continues to unveil this for us, what that kingdom way is, he's presenting us uh, with ways to be kingdom people, how to exit the darkness we're in and and exit our fallenness and embrace his way of life, what we were intended for. Russ introduced this familiar phrase that we're going to see in this uh, segment of this series, and it's, uh, you have heard it said, X. But I say to you, why? That's how Jesus is addressing the crowds. That's how he's addressing us. And what he's doing is he's taking a popular interpretation of the Old Testament law. You've heard it said. And he's offering a new, fresh interpretation, the right interpretation. The one that sums up the heart of God, his intent in the law, what he meant for his people all along. Remember, he's not abolishing the law. He's not saying these standards are wrong. He's saying they're there, but you missed the point. It's so much more. He's also inviting us to be kingdom people, people that have our hearts match God's, and therefore we can live out the law. We can fulfill it along with him. Let's take a look at our passage. You could turn on your phone, swipe to your Bible app, Matthew 5, or I have the words up on the screen. Follow along with me. This is Jesus speaking, remember. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So Jesus is telling us what the law, what God's intent for his people was. He's saying it was never about don't commit adultery. It wasn't that physical act. It was about your heart. Was your heart lustful? The standard still exists. Sex outside marriage is still God's standard. That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. He's saying your heart is what matters. It's about lust. Lust. It's something we've all felt. We've all dealt with. It manifests in different ways in our lives and in our habits. And Jesus' words to them 2,000 years ago on the mount are the same words to us today today here on the campus of University of Illinois. What are those words? What does he tell us? He says, don't think lustfully about another person. How's that working for you? How's that going? And I can tell you from my own personal experience, not that well. It's hard. I've been walking with Jesus for over 18 years. I've been married for seven. And I feel like a failure in this area still today. They're challenging words. And so when I encounter a passage like this, I struggle. I wonder, can we even do this? Can we even live this way? Does Jesus even know where we're at and what we're up against? Is it possible? I think we can. I think it is. I think Jesus knows exactly where we're at. He knows exactly what we're up against. I mean, think with me. Lust is not a new sin we discovered or we invented. He's talking to them 2,000 years ago because it existed then. It was in their hearts. Just as much as it exists in our hearts today. People have dealt with this throughout history. Jesus isn't surprised that humanity has lustful hearts. Since the fall, since our exit from Eden, sin has twisted sexuality, has twisted God's design in our hearts. And lust is its byproduct. And that's why Jesus is speaking to our hearts. He's not concerned about our societal norms, the pressures we face, our past. He's inviting us to be kingdom people. Then and now. He's calling us to watch our hearts rather than our external actions. Not to just focus on some rule to follow. Rather, where is your heart? He says that standard, it's not measured by did you, did you sleep with someone else's spouse? Did you sleep with your boyfriend before you guys were married? Did you look at pornography today? Not the standard. The standard's your heart. Is it bent towards God in this area of your life, or away? This kingdom way of living that Jesus is calling us to, it's not otherworldly. It's not unattainable. It's not unrealistic. It's available to us. He's inviting us to it. It's what he's offering on the Sermon on the Mount. He's calling us to be kingdom people, people who set our hearts on God, people who embrace our identity as image bearers, how we were designed to live before sin messed things up. The question is, how do we get there? How do we become these people? And what if we don't? What happens to us? What's our life look like? Those are the things I want us to wrestle with this morning. Those are the things Jesus, I think, is calling us. So if you've been with us this semester, you know we've kind of drifted in and out of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's been part of this larger series. We did a series called Imago Dei, and we learned that we're all image bearers of God. We are all created in the image of God. And in that series, we learned that that has huge ramifications for how we interact with one another, right? It means that all people deserve respect. All people should be treated with dignity and honor. We all bear the image of God. We all have the mark of the divine. And so when we interact with one another, we should interact with one another as image bearers, not as objects. And on that foundation, Jesus continues it's the theology he's working from. In our passage, he tells us, you're an image bearer. Treat others as image bearers. Don't just make the standard... Don't have sex. Consider where your heart is. Is your heart a kingdom heart? Are you living as an image bearer? That's the thing with sexual sin. Adultery, sex outside marriage, premarital sexual contact, the use of pornography, masturbation, sexual sin. It's the poisoned fruit of a broken, nasty tree called lust. It's evidence of a heart that's wandering outside the kingdom. It's not Jesus' way. See, when, when you, when you, when we, when you and I, when we look at another person lustfully, we dehumanize them. We strip them of their image of God. We strip them of their image barrenness. We make them an object we consider them for what they can do for us, how they can make us feel. We strip them of mago day, and we strip ourselves of it as we flatten ourselves down to one dimension focused on sexual pleasure, controlled by our urges. Not how we were meant to live not what we were designed to be it cheapens relationship it makes it hollow and robs it of the intimacy that we so long for you can't have a relationship with an object you can have a relationship with a person that's the thing we you and i we are image bearers we're not animals or objects we're not to be used by one another Jesus is saying, the standard, the focus here, it's not on external actions. It's not just about adultery. That's missing the point. The reality is, you can live a one-dimensional life, objectifying others, focused on your lust and feeding that, and never actually commit the physical act of adultery. And yet your heart is just as corrupt as if you had, just as much in need of forgiveness, grace, and reshaping. It's a heart issue. That's what Jesus is after. He's calling us a line of life. He's calling us back to Eden. He's calling us to a kingdom way, to the way we were were meant to live, the way we were designed to interact. He's calling to have our hearts and our minds reflect his values, to be image bearers fully restored. this is hard. This is heavy. It's challenging for us, isn't it? I can't really think of another area of life where I feel more like an exile than this area. Our society, our peers, our campus, maybe our friends, they've, they've fully bought into the lie that sex is life. It's what we're striving for. You know, it says if you're not having it or satisfying it in some way, you're missing out. You're half a person. And I think things have gone so far in our our culture this way that we've actually taken personhood, your identity, and we've tied it to your sexual preference. People proudly proclaim their sexual preference confusing it for their identity. It's who I am. But it's not. There's so much more to you. There is so much more to me than heterosexual male. If you spend some time with me, you're going to learn what I like, what I don't like. You're going to learn about the authors I like reading, maybe my, ha- my habits, my talents, my abilities, the things I can offer for the kingdom of God. You're going to learn what makes me happy or sad, what I get excited about, how I see beauty in the world and what motivates me. We are more than our sexuality. Let's not believe that. Let's not fall into that lie. We were meant for so much more than a lustful pursuit of sex in our lives. You, you are so much more than what you can offer sexually to another person. You are worth so much more than how you measure up in someone else's eyes, whether someone swiped left or right. To our sex-obsessed culture, Jesus speaks strongly. He says, there is more to life than sex. I created you for so much more. Don't believe that lie. And we have to be careful, though, right? Because we can start making a list of do's and don'ts. And that's exactly what Jesus is speaking against. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That's the wrong interpretation, he's saying. You've missed the point. He offers a strong word. It's a word for them then, but it's a word for us now. It's a word about needing to be careful to not let our sexuality lead us astray from the kingdom watch our hearts. So as exiles, we strive to not live a life marked by lust. We guard ourselves against the temptation to sleep with our boyfriend or girlfriend before we're married. We work hard to not entertain sexual thoughts about one another, not dehumanize and use another person in image or in thought as a sexual object for our pleasure. We treat each other as image bearers, and we honor ourselves as an image bearer. How do we get here? What does it look like to live this way? How do we become kingdom people? I think Jesus offers some suggestions. So let's look back at our passage. Picking up in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. So there we have it. Jesus says, gouge out your eye and cut off your hand. So you probably got a pencil on your way in this morning. Take that to, I'm just, do not I'm totally kidding. Jesus is using deliberate hyperbole here. He's using exaggeration to make a point very clear and very strongly. And he's doing it pretty directly, right? I mean, think about that with me. He's referring to the medium through which lust first comes to us as a temptation, our eyes. And the instrument by which we usually act upon it, our hand, he's saying this is serious business. Fight for your heart. The exaggeration makes the point clear means we need to have single-hearted devotion to God, a single gaze set on God, and that's how we become kingdom people. Without it, with living in a divided heart, we continue on the hell we bring upon ourselves in sin and the hell on earth that this makes in our life. And so when I was in high school and I read this passage, I took it pretty close to literally, actually. And what I mean by that is, late-night cable TV was the temptation medium of source for me. It was the main source of pornography in my life. And so... TV in my room, cable connection, I decided to take a pair of scissors, cut the cable cord. It worked. Got rid of Skinamax as an option for me, but my lust didn't go away. My lust didn't go away. It didn't eliminate the issue. because Lust is a heart issue. We can't solve a heart issue by physical changes. And don't get me wrong, we can help our hearts out by making physical changes. I think that's what we need to do in a lot of cases. But ultimately, to fix this problem, to do what Jesus is calling us to do, to be kingdom people, we have to address our hearts. We have to take a good look at what is going on in our hearts. We do that by addressing our hearts, washing it with scripture, washing our brains, our minds with scripture, being renewed in the gospel, preaching the gospel to one another, and reminding ourselves that we are image bearers meant for more, We invite others to walk with us in community. Close accountability is helpful as we walk with others and share our struggle. We allow them to be the voice of God speaking truth into our lives, calling us to that gospel, calling us to be an image bearer. But we need to be careful. It's, it's really easy to fall right into the same trap the Pharisees did. and We can make a list and control the external actions, and make it about not doing X or not doing Y. I think Jesus is telling us that's a losing battle. That's not what we're after. The issue's clear. It's your heart. It's about lust. It's not about how many days since you looked at pornography. It's not about how many days since you and your boyfriend slept together. It's not about when you last masturbated about your heart? Is it a kingdom heart? Is it a heart set on Jesus? Is it a heart being renewed and transformed by the gospel? And that's the beauty of the gospel, right? There's grace. It doesn't matter if I messed up yesterday. There's grace. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have this all figured out and solved. Jesus paid the price for my lustful heart, for my sins, past, present, and future. He did the same for you. But when we take grace and we use it as an excuse not to change, we cheapen it. We make it something other. Grace grace is a helpful consolation. It is an unwarranted gift in the midst of the struggle to strive to be kingdom people, to change. We need to fight. We need to strive for our hearts in this area. We need to fight, but fighting in this area looks different than you might think. Fighting looks like fleeing rather than resisting. I've been walking with Jesus for a while, and like I said, I feel like a failure in this area. I've been fighting for a kingdom heart for a long time, and I still consider myself broken. I think about it in this way. Just as a recovering alcoholic can't be trusted with alcohol around, I can't be trusted unsupervised on the Internet or with unwatched access to the Internet. I spent too many years addicted to pornography and easy access that way that the habits come back way too easy. It starts by clicking on a link that maybe is a little bit taboo or I shouldn't have, And then sooner or later, I'm fully enwrapped in the lust's web. Further down the rabbit hole, I go, chasing after lust. So it took me a while in life to to learn this principle of flee rather than resist. But it's been incredibly fruitful, and I hope it is for you as well. For years, I have literally run from my lust. Literally, I lace up my shoes and run. I leave my house. I get away from Internet access. We need to flee. Flee physically, free from the opportunity. When you're feeling the pull of lust, get out of the situation. Flee. Let your heart choose the kingdom. Give it a chance to choose the kingdom rather than lust. If you try to resist, if you sit there with a the temptation available, sit there with your girlfriend or boyfriend, trying not to push the boundaries, As your hormones rage, as your heart starts racing, as your mind clouds, you'll lose the battle. You stack the odds against yourself when you try to resist, flee, and give your heart a chance. Now, in relationships in this area, we often talk about boundaries, and I think they're great and really helpful. Specifically, when I was dating my wife, Amy, these were really helpful for us. We needed boundaries. And we decided early on in our relationship what those should be. And we made a commitment that as long, uh, we would not change those unless we were of sober mind. And so that means we're not renegotiating boundaries when we're making out on a couch alone by ourselves. It's the wrong time. That's not sober-minded. I'm very attracted to my wife. It's a good thing. Our marriage, our sexual relationship, that's a great gift from God. But it was a wedding gift. It wasn't an engagement gift. It wasn't a, we love each other gift. It wasn't a, we're committed to each other anyways gift. It was a wedding gift, and it needed to wait to be opened until our marriage. That's the standard Jesus calls us to. One of the ways that we, one of our boundaries we had to set was that she had an apartment by herself, and when we were dating, we found we just could not be there alone. Because when we did, we violated our boundaries. We crossed them. So we decided we needed to be at my house or in another, bu- another public place when we spent time together. This wasn't a safe place for us. But here's the thing about boundaries, and what often I get asked. When people enter a relationship, I hear, well, how far can we go before we're married? Right? And I get it, right? I mean, we have hormones. They're for real. We have a sex drive. This stuff is fun, right? I mean, it's designed for pleasure. God knew what he was doing. You're attracted to one another. Otherwise, you wouldn't be dating, right? But the problem is it reveals your heart, right? It shows us what lust does in our heart. To me, that sounds exactly like how much money can I steal from the bank before I get in trouble, right? (laughs) It's the wrong angle looking at the problem, right? We need to change our view. We need to think about how do I honor and respect my boyfriend or girlfriend? How do I live with a kingdom heart as we build a foundation for our relationship? Remember, the Pharisee standard, the line they drew in the sand was don't commit adultery. Jesus said it's about your heart. Is Your heart honoring the kingdom is it set on the truth of God. I think that gives us a much better angle to look at relationship boundaries so as people in exile kingdom people we need to embrace the work of salvation in our lives we need to look upon the grace of jesus and allow it to transform us we need to work to become disciples of jesus people who don't merely obey commands but people who have our hearts match his We need to get at the original intent of the law, what God designed us for. We need to be a people set apart, a people that live differently than our culture in this area. That's what Jesus is calling us to. But what if we don't? What if we choose to let lust run unchallenged, unchecked in our lives? What if we don't choose the kingdom way? Well, a passage comes to mind. Paul gives us a hint in his opening to the letter to, to the Roman church. And I'm just going to read it for you here. I think it's up on the screen. This is Romans 1, 24 through 25. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now oftentimes I hear people say this is a warning of where we're headed. It's not so much a warning I think that Paul's offering as much as he's recounting what has happened to humanity. He's retelling, he's explaining the state of humanity as we've gone astray from God. And he tells us we, when we live unchecked, when we let our sin run rampant, when we let lust consume us, we dishonor our bodies. We trade the truth of God for a lie. We bend our heart in worship to something other than God. What does that that mean? What does that look like? It looks like killed faith, dead faith to me, worshiping a different God. The unrepentant sin in our lives, it divides our hearts. And kingdom kingdom people can't have divided hearts. Jesus doesn't ask for a part of you. He yes, for all of you. You can't be an image bearer in part. Left unchecked, lust will consume us. Lust is a monster. It's a monster that wants all of you, that needs feeding constantly, that is never satisfied, that will take more and more of you until there is nothing left to give. When we let lust run free in our lives, in our hearts, we no longer live as image bearers. Instead, we we become shadows of what what we were meant to be. We slowly fade from the kingdom world and become permanent residents in the fallen world. Addiction to feeding our lust, it's like slowly turning the volume knob down on life. As you give more and more of yourself to this monster, lust, less and less of you is available for others. It's a killer of relationship. As we let lust run rampant, we flatten ourselves. We become one-dimensional. We're fixed on how to satisfy our greed, our need for more, how to feed the monster. It's a killer. It enslaves us. Lust left unchecked in our hearts is like voluntarily taking on the chains of slavery. It will destroy us. But that's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus breaks our chains. We sing that often here. No matter where we find ourselves, what we've done, this morning, yesterday, in the past, Jesus offers us a way out. He breaks our chains. He offers us freedom. He offers offers us the kingdom way. Gaining our freedom, it looks like turning our hearts towards Jesus. It looks like giving our hearts a chance in this area. It looks like fighting for our hearts. Remember, this is a heart issue. It's not about external circumstances. If we strive to control the external, we're going to fail. I think that's Jesus' point clear to the Pharisees. But if we strive for our hearts, if we want to keep our hearts alive and let them reflect God, we will become kingdom people, people who live kingdom values, people who have freedom in this area. Let's strive for that, Hawaiian Eli. Let's strive to be kingdom people. Let's give our, chan- our hearts a chance to choose the kingdom rather than lust. Let's keep our faith alive. Let's keep a watchful eye on our hearts and one another. This morning as we have read Jesus' words, they're the same to the people on the mount 2,000 years ago as they are to us. It's still applicable, It's still important. He's strong. He's saying, we have made uh, friends with our lust. We've allowed it to feel normal, and we've made friends with it. He says, don't be fooled. It's not normal. It's not what you were intended for. It's a killer. Fight to be an image bearer. You'll be a better person. You'll have richer relationships when you're Fixation on sex and lust isn't clouding your mind and your heart. You'll learn to appreciate people for who they are rather than what they can do for you, or what they can offer, how they can make you feel. You'll build the foundation of your relationships on lasting connection, that intimacy of connectedness that we so long for. We won't be consumed by the fleeing erotic love that our society says is all there is. Now, a word of caution I feel like we should offer, because a lot of you are single. Hopefully my story has been clear. Marriage doesn't solve this. We know that because it's a hard issue, right? And we know that because married people commit adultery. Adultery and lust, they're not about whether or not you're having sex. It's not about whether or not that's an outlet for you. The heart issue, it's about our our compulsion for consumption. It's about our desire to objectify and dehumanize others for our pleasure. It's about greedy hearts and how sin has twisted our sexuality. Jesus wants us to have kingdom hearts. He offers us that. And as the band comes up this morning, I want to close with with a final few thoughts. A final thought. Jesus calls us to be kingdom people, to live as a people in exile. We can stand differently than those around us in this area. We can choose a different way. We do that by embracing our identity as an image bearer. By fighting, by fleeing rather than resisting. By focusing on our heart and where our heart is bent. The stakes are high. If we don't, it'll kill our faith. It'll consume us. Why don't you pray with me?